So we are uh, nothing really going on right now. Yeah, yeah. it's kind dog, of uh, dog days, as they call them. Yeah, it's uh, it's then. I you know I'm, I'm just focused on uh, first grade politics right now, which is. <laughs> It is, it is an interesting thing, because in kindergarten, you have all your friends, and then there are the other kids in the other class, and then they mix it all up in first grade, and that's now, now some of your friends go in the other class, and some of the other class become your new class, and mm-hmm. it's a whole drama. It's a drama I've never been exposed to before, at least one that I don't remember being exposed to before, unless I was there. So, yeah. kindergarten to first grade, big transition. You know, I was telling my mom uh, the other day how Hero is literally in the school that you went yeah. to, and in, yeah. the t- and in the room, or just right, right around her, the room. Her kindergarten classroom was next to what had been my kindergarten classroom, and now... Her uh, first grade classroom is next to what was my second grade classroom. Mm. And you, you, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm telling my mom this, and she's like, that's amazing. You yeah. know the, 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 the schools that you P- went to? Yeah, PTSD, every time I set foot on campus. I was like, you're a little bit. But, it, but yeah. it's got to be a wonderful thing. Uh, the, the, the elementary and high school that I went to, and the elementary school that I went to was literally across the street from my house. I used to walk wow, that's from my great. house across the street to my elementary school. Uh, and uh, gone, uh, actually oh. physically gone. Um, uh, and they built a school, a brand spanking wonderful new elementary school, a little slightly different place called Bar- Barack Obama uh-huh. Elementary School. You know, and I, I drove by it, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, who'd have thunk yeah. that this dude would cost me my <laughs> elementary school? <laughs> because of this dude, they knocked down That's the school it. I went to. My high, my actual physical high school, most of it, most of the campus. A lot of the campus is gone. Some of the campus is still there. Uh, so it's, but, you know, they closed all these schools because there are literally not that many children. This is all mm-hmm. in St. Louis, of course. Uh, literally not that many children, uh, it, it, just at all. In those communities where I grew up, the, the number of children has just diminished yeah. precipitously. Well, they, I mean, in, in, in our city, they, some of that has kind of happened. There used to be uh, three elementary schools when I was growing up, and then they made them into two. And oh. then, because the number of kids dropped, and then kids showed up again. It's all kind of economic-based when you're in a small city. And then they added that third one again, and, they just, and now they just consolidated the other two elementary schools again because they're turning the one into a middle school so that they don't have the middle school and the high school all packed into the same campus. Yeah. Never really understood that. If your middle school and your high school are packed onto the same campus, isn't it just one school? Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want middle yeah. school kids, which so for me, I know it, they don't really associate with each other. They yeah, somehow keep them separate. Yeah, but, yeah. It's, it's because the, and you know I, the, the, that's the other thing she told me. The, the what we call junior high, uh, in which in, I prefer, in Midwest, um, uh, as opposed to middle school, which was the seventh and eighth grades. So you know that's for that's, me. It was seven, eight, and nine. Really, nine. Yeah, interesting. I know it's got around some places, but yeah. yeah, for us it was seven, eight, and then freshmen. So nine, ten, eleven, twelve were at yeah. the high school. So that the actual physical structure again gone. Where I went That's to crazy. junior high does not exist anymore. I taught junior high uh, at that junior high in the yeah. middle eighties or something like that, which was kind of weird. Uh, so that's the you know yeah. school that I went to and a school that I taught at. All gone. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's just a very sort of bizarre thing. But yours yeah. yours are hanging in there. I mean, they they, they metamorphosize in your in up at it's up a, a, it, yeah. It's a it's a. It it's depends a, on how many kids there. It's are. a small community too, and there are and two of the uh, two of the teachers at the elementary school also attended that elementary school with me. Yeah, yeah. And one of whom, her little boy, actually was in the same kindergarten class as my daughter. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we grow roots. It's a replacement <laughs> rate thing, though, dude. Because it think is. about it. Yeah. 
Um, so you, uh, yeah, hero, hero replaces you. Yeah. In that, and in, in, so that's that's the but that's a nice thought. Yeah, uh, but, but 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 you don't have two kids. That's true. Re- replacement rate, yeah. would, you'd have to have two because you'd have that's to have true. one replace. Uh, yeah. So you know, that's still actually a diminished population over the Very course true. of the next twenty years. You know. Very true. Because people don't have as many kids as they used to. I mean, you, I mean, you knew I, when I was growing up, and when you you were growing up, like late sixties, early seventies, there were Irish Catholic families in my community with like fourteen kids. And this was like not weird. An ordinary family had six or maybe four kids. It was weird if there were only two kids in some family. You'd be like, where are the rest of your brothers and sisters, you know? And single children, single children like you, yep. almost non-existent in my community when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I can only think of one girl who was a single uh, child uh, when I was growing up. Yeah. But, you know, but that Irish Catholic family with you know the McDougals or whatever they yeah. were, 14 kids. 14 wow. kids. Well, we are. I'm, I'm going to start with foreign this week. We got a, uh, a good little handful of interesting foreign stuff to dig into. Um, this is such an intriguing film. It's called Cross Current. It is a, uh, a really, really interesting um, poetic realism. It's a Chinese, it's, I guess the only way to describe it is Chinese poetic realism. But there are, uh, it's not magical realism, but it would, it would be considered magical realism if they were speaking Spanish, I suppose. Uh, I would call it poetic realism in the uh, Chinese school of filmmaking. It won the Silver Bear at the Berlin Film Festival, and uh, it is it is quite an extraordinary looking movie. Its cinematographer is Mark Lee uh, Ping Bing, who has been um, a cinematographer or a camera operator or in the camera department for a number of significant films, including In the Mood for Love and. Uh, and the assassin and various others. Uh, it is it is an odyssey. It is an allegorical odyssey, going up the Yangtze River, uh, dealing specifically with the uh, this this young man who is bringing a a cargo ship up the river with with stuff on it, and uh, how he repeatedly encounters this very mystical woman who seems to be getting younger uh, along the course of the journey. And what that actually says in a symbolic way about life and China and journeying generally and all of these things. And uh, the, uh, the, there is, of course, a payoff at the end, which is uh, quite interesting and, uh, and provocative. And otherwise, you're sitting there and you're just soaking in the beautiful environment and the ambience and the cinematography. And it's, it's, a, it's really, you know, you, when you think about the fact that they probably didn't spend a whole lot on this movie and it just looks gorgeous. There's no excuse to not make a movie that doesn't look like $10 billion. Uh, it is called Cross Current, written and directed by Yang Chow, really, really talented filmmaker, and uh, beautiful cinematography by uh, Mark Lee Ping Bing. So uh, I would, I'd go check that out. That is, uh, that is one that you definitely want to discover, Cross Current. And we also have uh, from Rudy Riveron Sanchez is Eres Tu Papa. Is that you? Uh, or is that you, Papa? Um, not absolutely brilliant. This has been in a, in a ton of festivals. And uh, it's, it, this is a Cuban film uh, dealing specifically with, the, um, with a particular Cuban family and um, the overbearing uh, presence uh, of the father in this family who has left a shadow on the family and, and not in a good way and in, in, a, in a rather extraordinary and horrific way. Uh, it, and, and, 
I guess you could call this a horror film of sorts. Uh, they, they call it a psychological horror film. I think it's more horror. It's more than just psychological horror. It really, it really gets into the the, the externalization of psychological horror. It's very very interesting. Um, doesn't completely work entirely. It goes. It gets a little dark at a certain point in ways that I think is a, is a tiny bit contrived. It doesn't need to go that dark to make its point. Uh, it doesn't need to go into um, this kind of supernatural detour that it goes into, but nonetheless, uh, it is. It is. I think it suggests that Cuban cinema may be on, uh, due for a comeback. The fact that a movie like this could be made in Cuba today um, is significant. There are things that here that would never have made it into a Cuban film, you know, in the heyday of Castro. So uh, obviously, the, uh, the 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 reins are loosening a little bit down there, and that's always a good thing. Uh, next foreign film here is One Nation, One King by Pierre Scholler. And uh, this also was uh, at a handful of festivals. This was, um, I don't think it won anything at any of them. This is from Icarus Home, uh, Icarus, Icarus Films Home Video. And um, would make probably a good double feature with Danton, if you, uh, the, uh, the Depardieu film, if you wanted to uh, put them together. Danton is very specifically the political scenario that existed right at the uh, beginning of the French Revolution. This looks at a, uh, a young, uh, kind of a peasant woman and a peasant man who, uh, who, are, who represent the people. And uh, this looks at what's happening on the streets in a very non-musical way. This is, this is not Les Miserables. This is, uh, this is a, a very different take on, on what's happening on the streets in the aftermath of the French Revolution. And it is not necessarily a, um, a, 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 a uh, free of speed bumps and, uh, and uh, hurdles. It is... It is a difficult moment, and it continues to be a difficult moment and a bloody moment, and uh, so it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty solid French film. It's uh, not the kind of thing that uh, is going to win any Oscars, but it, in terms of kind of parochial French historical cinema, it's top tier. Uh, Pierre Schuller is the filmmaker. One Nation, One King, and then we also have Tiger Milk by Uta Wieland, which is uh, kind of a little bit you know it's 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 a teen liberation movie. It's about a couple of teenagers, a couple of 14-year-old uh, girls and just, you know, how they're, uh, how they're coming of age in, in Berlin. I don't know that there's much more than that. It's, it's very blunt and very frank, and it's about, you know, sexuality and uh, coming of age. And the one thing that sort of sets it apart is the fact that one of the girls is uh, of Iraqi ancestry, and there is a fear that she and her family might be deported and sent back to Iraq. So the, the, the cultural aspect that divides these two best friends is the thing that really uh, sets it apart. But uh, apparently it's based on a novel. Uh, this is from Altered Innocence. And, uh, you know, it is very competently made. It's a little bit obvious, but um, what it says about modern-day Europe and changing demographics and refugee crisis and all of those things that are in the news constantly, I think it treats it in a very, very mature way. The Brink is a super cool action film from uh, Wellgo Entertainment. Uh, this is, uh, so Max Zhang and Yu Wu from uh, Paradox and Master Z. Uh, they basically, um, it, it, look, it's a cop film. I mean, you know, they, you gotta, gotta stop a, a smuggler and, uh, this, you know, triad gang warfare and on and on and on. It's a lot of fighting, it's a lot of gunplay. The plot doesn't really make any difference. It's just really, really very well done and very well executed. 
It's called The Brink. It's a super cool action film. If you like modern-day Chinese martial arts and, uh, and, and, and gunplay films, you'll love it. Uh, if you like them a little artier, you will enjoy How Long Will I Love You, and U is just the letter U. Um, this is a romantic comedy. This is a really fun Chinese romantic comedy, which shocked me. This is also from Wellgo. And um, most of the things that pass for romantic comedy that come from China these days are terrible. They are silly. The people mug for the camera. It, it, it sort of represents the worst of, of Chinese comedy. And it doesn't translate at all. And that's why almost none of them actually make it over here. Uh, this is not that at all. This is really, really clever uh, because the there's a gimmick here. And the gimmick is that these two people who, um, uh, who are part of the romantic comedy are separated by 20 years. Ah, well, how can two people separated by 20 years have a, have a, roman- a romance between them? The answer, they live in the same apartment, mm. 20 years apart. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a, there, there, you have to sort of buy into the conceit that you can, you can be in the apartment, that on one side of the apartment, that goes into this decade, mm-hmm. and on the other side of the apartment, you go through the door, you go out in that decade. Mm-hmm. And that's the conceit, that this apartment somehow exists in two different years at the same time. Mm-hmm. And there is a kind of a weird time travel paradox where the room can start to collapse on itself if you don't sort of obey the rules mm-hmm. and this whole magic thing can go away. So this romance that these two people are developing may also go away mm-hmm. because they're not meant to be together in these from yeah. these separate time periods. I kind of like it. Anyway, it's a it's a it's a very clever conceit. Um and uh it's executed beautifully. Absolutely beautifully. It's a very very smart fantasy romantic comedy and it is called How Long Will I Love You with You. Uh wonderful actors in this. Uh Jia Yinlei and Li Yatong. Um really one of the most inventive uh Chinese films of this type that I've seen in a very long time. I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Sa- uh Savage Wild Sauvage Wild uh is not exactly one of my favorite uh, French films of late but a lot of other people have in- have liked it this is from Strand um it's uh basically i mean you know there are a ton of these movies made and i don't really get the point of this one but it it centers around a uh, a young male hustler and his you know his ramshackle life and and all of the the woeful things that happen to him and how he you know how the 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 risks that are inherent in being a male prostitute um fighting for you know this corner or that corner with uh, others and you know his romantic liaisons and uh you know the dangers of that not just in terms of you know what might happen to you if you're with the wrong person but uh, in terms of uh, other trans- very sexually transmitted diseases um and uh, whether or not it's possible for somebody who's committed themselves to this kind of a life, and this is the ultimate question, to find happiness, to actually make it out of that life at a certain point, to age out of that life and to age into some kind of a, a normal existence with uh, you know, a way of having a, being gainfully employed and so forth. Can you, can you run away from this or are you doomed to a young death? So uh, kind of cliche questions that we've seen done a lot. Uh, it's very, very explicit, which is sort of its calling card. Uh, it's called Sauvage Wild. Um, certainly for a, for a certain audience, not exactly my speed. I've seen too many of those films, and most of them are Spanish, oddly enough. <laughs> I'm not sure why that is. Uh, and then the uh, I'll save a couple of these for later, but this one I want to talk about for a second, Anyara. Tim, did you see Anyara by I chance? I did, yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. 
Yeah, see, that was my feeling too. Uh, this is from Magnet, the genre wing of Magnolia. It is on Blu-ray. This is a Swedish film that uh, was uh, probably about as expensive as any Swedish film is going to ever be in Sweden. Uh, they poured a lot into this, and they cut a lot of corners too. So Anyara is, a, is actually a famous um, epic poem that was written by a Nobel laureate uh, back in the 50s, a Swedish Nobel laureate. And uh, the, the premise is that there is a spaceship carrying people to some human colony on Mars or wherever, and uh, it winds up having a malfunction and goes astray and adrift and winds up there literally for decades and decades and decades. And, and the people never get rescued. They just live the rest of their lives out on this, this, uh, this stranded, drifting, wayward spaceship that can't get dra- back on course in the solar system. And um, someone had the very, very ambitious idea of, hey, let's take this poem and let's turn this poem into a movie. Let's turn it into a big old long feature film. And uh, it, it, at 106 minutes, it's not that long, but relative to the epic poem itself, it's long. And it is a bit of a meandering story, uh, as you would expect for something based on a poem. It's very episodic. Characters that you get to know at the beginning, some of them fade away. There's one character in particular who is sort of your through line in this, uh, this, this uh, female physician. Um, but, you know, and there are others, the captain and a few other characters that, that certainly hang around. But on the, on, on, generally, it really doesn't go anywhere other than just sort of, isn't this a sad story? Let's see how weird and depressing things get over the course of decades and how do these people maintain their sanity when they realize that they're doomed to spend the rest of their lives on a on a you know an unmoored spaceship? Mm. I kind of feel like there are more interesting ideas in here than it, it's it's be, the, the the parts are better than the than the whole. Yeah, I'm look. I'm I was looking for uh, Tarkovsky, uh, Solaris, yeah, Solaris. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's and um, and you know and and whatever. It's not so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that. No, it's not that. Unfortunately, it raises some interesting questions, but it doesn't really go anywhere particularly interesting. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, what else we got? Uh, we have some sort of newish independent cinema. Yeah. Uh, some of which is sort of interesting for various different reasons. For instance, this little movie, Ms. Arizona. Uh, it's, it's, I hated this film. It, it's you know what I, you want to like about this it film so much. Steve Gutenberg's in it. Yeah, but he's just he's such just a, playing his swarthy. He's such a gay cliche. It's just <laughs> he. I mean, it's it is it is Steve Gutenberg just going to the nth degree and and being as Gutenberg as we've ever seen him. But yeah. man, yeah, yeah okay. And it's about this woman. She was a uh, Miss Arizona fifteen years ago. She's married. She's got a kid. She's bored. She gets a uh, assigned uh, teaching yeah. life skills yeah. to these people at this uh, shelter. Uh, you know, and, you know these women that don't have any interest in any of the crap that she's talking about. Next thing you know, you're on sort of like a oh. Um, uh, uh, after hours, sort yeah. of like roam through down yeah, the mean it's like, streets it's, of downtown. It's, like, it's like a girl. It's like a girls' night yeah, out. Girls thing, night yeah. Thing, you know, so you know that's all. That's all fine. But yeah, Steve Gutenberg, Missy Piles in it too. Yeah, uh, they, they show up in the and lots show, of drag queens. Lots of drag queens. They show up in the oddest places. Uh, Into the Ashes. Uh, look again. Uh, uh, James Badge Dale and Frank Grillo in this movie. So you know, significant sort of figures. And this is just a sort of standard. Crime, uh, this kind of thing. This guy, uh, he was in prison, had a violent history and everything. He, he got rid of all of that. Now he's got the wife, got the kid, everything's fine. 
Uh, but, you know, his old partners, his old crew uh, know that he, or believe anyway, that he stole some money. And they come back and they, you know, they, they do a thing to his wife. Well, now this guy's got to decide what he's going to do about this whole thing. And, and it becomes one of those. And I suppose that's all fine. It's just that movie has been made 50,000 times. I know. And, you know, unless you got a reason to make this movie, something, something, uh, a hook, uh, you know, and, uh, you know this, uh, a twist uh, or something about, about that, then there's, there's no reason to make this movie again, even if you do it fairly well, because it's just been made too many times. Into the Ashes, that is. Uh, this is a little creepy-ass horror movie called Darlin'. And it's about this uh, teenage girl who's found uh, out in this, well, actually, she's found in this Catholic hospital near these woods. She's feral. Uh, just, just flat out crazy feral. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the church takes her in. The bishop, the nuns, and they're gonna, they're gonna you know, use the power of, uh, you know, the church to, to uh, bring her around to being uh, civilized. Uh, but there's something else going on. There's something else going on. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Kind of, I love the name of the director, Pollyanna McIntosh. That's the name of the director. Okay, Pollyanna McIntosh. That's that's a that's a very uh, that's a good name for a marquee. Yeah, you know anything with the word Pollyanna in it. Uh, so you know, a fairly wicked little horror movie too. Then we got this big old epic uh, sort of there will be bloodish style film called The Iron Orchard, uh, set in Texas, West Texas, uh, late thirties uh, when that big oil boom, oil rush thing was sort of popping off there, and it was just the the wild badlands of Texas, and you know, oil men and oil barons did what he could. Young man arrives in the scene of all of that, and and uh, and and tries to make his way in that world with you know pretty much everything set against him, uh, except the love of a good woman. Uh, and then and, and and this is all about that, and it's really beautifully shot. I mean, it really does have a sort of there will be blood sort of look to it. That sort of uh, sepia tope with these old oil uh, wells and in uh, in these uh, gushers as they call them going off and. And just the drama, the sort of drama that you get from like, I don't know, like a, like a Russian, like an 18th century Russian novel or something like this from Pushkin or something like that. Yeah. It's just what that set in the, and not the Old West, but in that transitional period, you know, out of the Old West and into modern times. Uh, before we understood uh, how rich oil was going to make yeah. some portion of, of this nation. Uh, so it's a really, really good movie uh, on Blu-ray. I wish that they would have put something on it by way of special features, but not, not mm. much there. Bummer. Uh, got, a, got a couple of faith-based films. This one's called Canal Street. Uh, 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 Michael T. Williamson, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer. Uh, yeah, again, uh, Lance some, Reddick. They give some A-list actors these in these actors. things now. These are actors. Lance Reddick is the guy that we were uh, talking about last week in, yeah. uh, in um, John Wick 3, the, yeah. you know, the Brother West That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer uh, in this movie. So... Uh, this is about a young man who gets accused of uh, of a murder uh, of a classmate of his. His father, who is a, an up and coming lawyer, uh, believes his son when his son says he didn't do it, and he steps out to defend his son in court, uh, and, uh, and 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 all of the the, the forces uh, that he yep. marshals to help him, which includes you know his faith, uh, and uh, it, and it's uh, it's you know it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful and moving movie. Um, again, a faith based film, but it doesn't live in that spot quite yeah. so you know. Yep. Uh, now, on the other hand, catching faith to the homecoming, which we, which we're giving away, by the way, yeah, we, have yeah, five, yeah, yeah. we have five giveaways on that, and they, it kind of lives right on that spot. Yeah, you know, it's it, this is a faith based film that is a faith based film. They just put it right there in the title. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, that's so, it. So, so that you can you can make no. But mistake. the first one apparently did well enough to oh, justify yeah. this one. Oh yeah, it did yeah. It did real well. Anyway, um, it's 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 about this family and the trials and tribulations of the Taylor family and what they're going through. And uh, he loses his football career, and she's got this job, and her mother has Alzheimer's, and you know all of that's yeah. going on. And and what are you going to do? Well, at the end of the day, you pray. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and and everything and everything comes together. Nevertheless, it's Dove approved with a twelve plus rating. Wow, I, I don't know what that means. I but, don't either, but it's well, right there on the box. I, we, I know what Dove is. We are giving away five of those, so go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Just put faith in the subject line, name and address in the body of the email, and if we get it by the 16th, we will pick five lucky people to send that on out to you. Uh, knock One off more? this Disney movie yeah. real quick. Yeah. So, uh, Sophia Wiley is in it. I'm just nuts about her. I love these Disney <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, this is a, this is a girl's soccer movie. It's about this girl that goes to a new school and she has all these kids who are being mean to her. She's really, really smart, but she's really good at soccer, too. Uh, and it's about how she's going to balance out those two things as she takes I, care I, of the bully I, girl. I, I love these movies. Yeah, yeah they're just I so do. much fun. Uh, Bennett, uh, like Beckham and Gracie, all any any girl soccer movie uh, I'm into. Yeah, it's fantastic. And this movie, this movie is 82 minutes long. You God gotta bless love it. You gotta God love bless them. Yeah, a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, back of the net. Uh, hit a few docs, and then we're going to get into some uh, some classic movie titles. Um, there's some really, really interesting docs that we've got here. Bloodlines, The Art and Life of Vincent Castiglia. Uh, the, the really uh, utterly fascinating figure that I'm completely otherwise uh, unfamiliar with. Uh, Vincent Castiglia is, uh, is sort of a very, very graphic... Um, I don't want to compare him to H.R. Giger... But it is uh, there. There's a there is there is a gigaris uh, kind of a quality to what he does, and uh, that's what this is. This is sort of looking at his his artistic the the, the darkness of his artwork, and uh, and where it comes from, and you know how, what his inspirations are, and people that love him. A lot of interesting people in here. Um, the uh, Margaret Cho is in here. Uh, Greg Allman. Uh, who else? Uh, Danny Fuentes. Um, some you know really interesting figures who who all dovetail with his work and his life. Um, it's interesting. It's very very interesting. Uh, and then we've got a quest for meaning, which is a pretty heady title for a, uh, a documentary because you think, well, how do you how do you bite that off in a single documentary? Uh, this thing has been at a number of festivals, and it has won the top award at nearly all of them, and they brag rather extensively about that. Uh, this was made by Nathaniel Coste and Marc de la Menardière. Uh, this is a globe-trotting, rather extensive uh, attempt to to get around the uh, idea of um, how people deal with crisis and a lack of meaning in the modern world. And uh, it, it is a huge thing to, to, to bite off. It's rather extraordinary that they go as far and as wide as they, as they do in this. I don't know that they're, they are entirely successful. It is really uh, uh, pretty difficult. But because they wrap this thing around a road trip and they personalize it, that then sort of justifies the fact that you're not making this an authoritative film. And that is exactly what they do. So... It's, uh, it's, it's two guys who basically just decide that they are going to cover this topic based on what they bump into along the way of their road trip. And so 
it's more of a question than an answer. And in that re- regard, I can actually sort of excuse some of its oversight and the things that it doesn't do particularly well. Um, it also includes a 26-minute uh, short film that they made uh, that's kind of the – it's sort of what, I guess – initiated the subject in some sense. Um, but yeah, as long as you approach it as a, as a, 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 a uh, an instigation point and not a conclusion, that's, uh, that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, Symbiotic Earth, How Lynn Margulis Rocked the Boat and Started a Scientific Revolution. There's a long title for you. Directed by John Feldman. And uh, if you're not familiar with Lynn Margulis, Lynn Margulis is a scientist, but one with some very unusual ideas and theories. And uh, she started to kind of come of age in the 1960s and uh, suggested the idea of symbiosis, and which is that, that um, how do you even kind of get into this? It's the idea that... Um, the random evol- that that evolution is sort of a process of uh, chaos and randomness is maybe the best way to describe it, and um, there are all kinds of tangents to this idea that get very unusual and they're a little bit controversial. So in any case, John Feldman uh, basically tries to wrap himself around all of her theories and what they mean and whether or not this is. And her ideas have come of age in the modern world, whether or not our digital era and and all of the things that we are encountering digitally and environmentally and politically uh, have opened the door to these ideas or whether or not they remain kind of uh, outcast ideas, a little too fringe. So that's what it is. If you're not familiar with Lynn Margulis, I might do a little research into her first. Otherwise, it'll be a shock to the system. But uh, certainly some very interesting stuff there. Trail of Tears. Uh, 36 documentary collection from Mill Creek is all about uh, the Native American experience. And uh, the um, some of them are better than others. Uh, Native America is the one that really kind of anchors most of this. It's a 32-part um, Native America Voices from the Land. It, that's 32 of the thir- of the uh, of the 36 documentaries all- alone. It's a it's a 32 part very very intensive documentary that gets into really the history of Native Americans and tribes and politics and culture and environment and all of that stuff rather extensively. It's a little dry, uh, but it's never uninteresting. Uh, the other four are um, Black Indians and American Story which is uh, something that we talk about a little bit, but not really enough, which is the Native American ancestry of tons and tons of black Americans. Yes, including me. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, and, and the, the, the Native American blood runs deep in all Americans. It is, it, it, we, eventually it gets into all of us. My, my wife, my daughter, uh, I'm one of the few that probably doesn't. Appar- but- apparently not Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Not enough, anyway. Whatever. Anyway, that's a po- political joke. Uh, our our spirits don't speak English. Indian boarding school, uh, which is about a very very unfortunate uh, episode where the United States government sort of tried to sort of breed the Indian culture out of uh, out of Native American kids by putting them through uh, boarding these boarding schools. Uh, and then Native American healing in the 21st century looks at the persistence of certain uh, healing principles and uh, and rituals that have made have stood the test of time, plants, medicinal uses of uh, all kinds of organic compounds. And lastly, Trail of Tears, Cherokee Legacy. Uh, this all goes back to the the rather horrible and shameful episode involving Andrew Jackson when he uh, signed the Indian Removal Act, 
and uh, what that what that did at the time. That's a really, really tragic uh, story. So Trail of Tears, 36 documentary collection, 32 of which are a single documentary series. Uh, 14 hours chronicling America's indigenous people. Uh, last three docs here. Secret stories of Hitler. I don't know how many secret stories there still are of Hitler. We've kind of done this to death. But uh, these, I, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a catchy... It's a catchy title. Uh, this involves, this includes both um, uh, Swastika, which is the, uh, which is a documentary uh, that is, I don't know, they, they call it the most controversial documentary about Hitler ever made. I don't think so. It, it's got some private home movie footage in it uh, that was shot by Eva Braun, which I think we've all seen. It's Hitler just being, you know, like, hi, I'm Hitler. My name's Adolf. I like dogs and picnics. Uh, I don't know that that's really that that uh, controversial. We've seen it before, but it certainly does give you a, a, an interesting perspective on who he was uh, privately. Hitler, the Untold Story is the bulk of this. It's a six-part series all about uh, Hitler's political career and, you know, how he rose to, to fame. I grew up with this story. I know the story intimately. Maybe you don't. If you don't, it's worth it. But there's also nothing particularly new here. And then lastly, uh, there's a thing on U-boats uh, called U-boats Hitler's Sharks, which is, you know, all about U-boats and their role in the, in the Second World War. Uh, and also not terribly interesting unless you're a real big groupie about U-boats. Uh, kind of uh, related to that is uh, World War II, Behind the Front Lines, the War That Shook the World. This is uh, 20 hours of World War II documentary footage and also from Mill Creek. It is, it's stuff that has been seen extensively before. It is not new, but if you don't have any other uh, documentary material on World War II, you would you should definitely get this. It's it's something to show the kids. It's something to have around. It certainly uh, covers uh, everything that you could com- could possibly want it to cover. It includes uh, the five part series Combat Aircrafts, and then the uh, twenty one episode show The Finest Hours of World War II, which again really just kind of rehashes a lot of other shows, but in a very very competent way. And then the last one is a documentary called Waves of Freedom, which is all about, you know, volunteer, sail- volunteer sailors uh, after World War II who um, helped break the uh, blockade of Palestine, if you know that. That's sort of what preceded the creation of the State of Israel. Uh, not really exactly a World War II story, but they tag it on here. Anyhow. And then the last doc, I absolutely love this film. Uh, it's called Nana. And this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story of um, a uh, an Auschwitz survivor who had um, who had served as uh, Joseph Dr. Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele's translator, and uh, she is now a grandmother, and uh, she survived Auschwitz, and she survived everything that 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 horrible war and the Holocaust had to throw at her. She is, of course, long deceased, the subject of the film, Marilla Mikalowski-Diamant. Uh, Marilla Mikalowski-Diamant is her name. She, she died 15 years before the film was made. Uh, but her, da- her granddaughter made the film, and it becomes a personal journey. So Serena Dykeman is the, uh, is the, the filmmaker, and she and her mother are, are the, the prism through which you, you discover this story. And it is, it is quite a powerful story. So, uh, and 25-year-old filmmaker, you know, who has a, a great deal of depth to, uh, to, to really tackle this family story and then tell it in a way that is meaningful and accessible to everyone else. And the movie is Nana. It's a great movie. 
What do we got, Tim? Uh, let's see. I guess I guess some of these you, we might call classics. Some of them are classics, but there are a few in here that they're calling classics from 1985, and that's kind of pissing me off. But the fir- not the first one uh, that we will call classic. The Ugly American adaptation of the novel uh, Brando uh, from 1965, I believe, uh, 1963, actually. Uh, really, really good uh, political thriller. Uh, Brando uh, is 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 playing an ambassador to the small South Asian country, not unlike yeah. uh, Vietnam. You know, not Vietnam, but not unlike Vietnam. Uh, in the South, are the in the North are the communists. In the South, it's a weakened democracy, not unlike Vietnam. Uh, and his job is to build this road to uh, to the interior of the country to keep to keep the connections together there. And it's all about how, from the moment that he gets there. Uh, there is this activist in the South who may or may not actually be a communist who simply does not trust him. Uh, and it, it's really about how Western culture uh, you know, insinuated itself into these South uh, East Asian uh, places uh, and, and, and attempted to impose democracy, Western-style democracy, mm. support or prop up uh, democracies, uh, where a good number of the people, frankly, sometimes the majority of the people, didn't want a Western style democracy, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and and looking back on this, looking back at this movie from the perch of today is really really an interesting thing. Pat Hingle in the film, uh, Sandra Love Church, Pat Arthur Hingle. Pat Hingle is fantastic, and there's Marlon Brando, uh, and they in a in a subdued performance. In, in that not all not all <laughs> not all know, Brando not all uh, Stella and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, the New Kids. This is one of these films that they put in the classic. This is this these are those. Um, uh, what are these again? This uh, this is a uh, oh they're Mill they're, Creek. They're, they're they're retro VHS line. Yeah, they, yeah the retro yeah. VHS because so the, you know the, they they all look like they're in VHS boxes. Yeah, so they partly slipped out of the VHS yeah. boxes with the with the ratings and stuff on them. So interesting thing about this film of the new kids, uh, nineteen eighty five, I believe that it is. Um, uh, a, a brother and a sister uh, lose their parents. They have to move to this hick town in Florida. Uh, where there are a bunch of these country, country bumpkins, uh, and, uh, and and they come after they come after him, and they come after yeah. his sister, you know, uh, and eventually he has to defend his sister, and his sister has to defend the sister, played by a very young Lori Laughlin uh-huh. uh, of you know the the the, the, the uh, school cheating scandal uh, in Full House and other things, but a very young Lo- uh, um, Lori Laughlin here. The score for this film, The New Kids, Lalo Schifrin, dude, sweet. I mean, he did a lot of stuff we yeah. we, we forget about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was yeah. A, he was a journeyman. He was a journeyman guy, and so he knocked this one out. So Columbia Pictures. I remember this movie when it was in theaters. I went to yeah. see it. It was pretty 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 good. Uh, interesting. White Line Fever from the same period, uh, probably 1987. Not, well, actually, a little bit sooner. This uh, 1975. So. It's about this uh, uh, this Arizona uh, long haul truck driver uh, yeah. and him doing his thing out there, and and uh, he gets this gig with uh, Slim Pickens to haul some stuff, but uh, through some sh- uh, uh, tomfoolery, it ends up being an illegal load of drugs. <laughs> right? He don't want to do it. He ain't gonna do it. So yeah. the bad guys come down and they beat him up, and they beat up his wife, and they kill the un- the unborn baby. What's he you know, what's he gonna do? He's got to go kill them all now. Uh, and that's what this is about. They used to make these movies all the time back then. Basically, they were all set up as revenge movies in one way or another, not unlike the new kids that I, yeah. that I just pointed out there. Uh, neat thing about this movie, directed by Jonathan Kaplan. This no movie, kidding. 1975, directed Sweet. by Jonathan Kaplan, man. You know, right, coming out of the, coming <coughs> out of the Corman School. Yes, coming out of that Corman School. Yep, yep. Uh, Jan Michael Vincent. Uh, oh, so sad. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh well, what are you gonna do? 
Now, this one pisses me off, too. I don't, I don't, I, classic. Roxanne, for God's sake. Steve yeah. Martin's. Steve Martin's Roxanne, 1987. Uh, I remember. I remember the day we went to see this movie. Uh, literally, it was Saturday evening, and this mm-hmm. was just one of the most wonderful romantic. Uh, modernist uh, takes on the Cyrano de Bergerac yeah. story that I just ever and you know the thing about Roxanne still works to this day. I know this it does. movie still works. Uh, Daryl Hannah, of course, is just so funny and so sweet. That fantastic scene uh, in in Roxanne when Steve Martin has to yeah all the jokes and how many jokes can you come up with about yeah. my nose? Just the most one of the most excellent and uh, meticulously executed moments of comedy. Ever captured on film, that is. Uh, and he's wonderful in this movie. Uh, Fred Shepsey. Forget about yeah. Fred. Fred's still yeah. around. Fred's I still know. working. I interviewed him not too, not too terribly long ago, Fred. Uh, Manson Family Movie. Oh, gosh. I hated this movie. Uh, it's See, a it's a movie that presumes or uh, the conceit is the, or the thought was that the yeah. Manson family had actually there had been a television truck stolen in 1969 right before uh, you know the 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 the, the, the slaughter right yeah, yeah. and the truck was found so the idea is that they took that equipment out of the truck and went around and videotaped probably in I don't know I I can't believe that any of the people in the Manson family would have understood how to use videotape equipment from uh, yeah. uh, 1969 no. so that's that's nuts anyway this presumes that and presumes to have found and sort of pieced together the film that Charlie Manson intended to make and it's just it's just dumb uh, so you know, uh, I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't bother with it. it. But you know, look, if you're if you're just like fixated on it, it's a two disc limited edition Manson family movies. Uh, it means to be a sort of Blair Witch of, right. of uh, the Manson family movie era. But whatever that. Got a really cool silent film here. This is an Indian silent, and that's a big deal because the the silent era, the movies of the silent era, are typically. You so you okay? So there are French silence and there are Russian silence and German silence and American silence, and that's sort of the the top tier. And then you're like, oh yeah, okay, I understand. There was some Italian silence, Mexican, yeah, and there was some Mexican mm-hmm. silence. And there and there are quite a few Japanese silence mm-hmm. we don't mm-hmm. see a lot of, mm-hmm. and there are even some British silence. Mm-hmm. You know, Hitchcock so, started. Yeah, Hitch, Hitchcock started in the silent era. So yeah, so you know, you kind of expand out there. They're not the the, the ones that you hear the most about. Mm-hmm. It's primarily Russian and German and French. Those are the ones, and American. Those are the ones that. Uh, that you hear most about. Then you sort of draw it out, and then you find out it was an Indian silent. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. There were films in India. Uh Uh-huh. There sure were. And this is one of the best, and it is extraordinary, and it's a wonderful thing that they've uh, they've 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 brought it back out. Now the that's it, it is still a you have to remember India in the silent era is part of the British Empire. So this is you you could argue this is a British silent technically, uh, but it is an Indian story even if it's uh, not an Indian filmmaker. The director is Franz Osten, and the movie is Shiraz, a romance of India. And uh, it is shot entirely with an Indian cast in India, restored by the British Film Institute, BFI National Archive. And they have a new score that they commissioned from Anushka Shankar, which mm. is beautiful and is perfect. And uh, the, the, the film was produced by an Indian movie star at the time named Himansu Rai, which I didn't even realize that Bollywood was kind of a full-blown thing already in the silent era, which mm. it was. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, just like the Japanese film industry was. The two oldest studios in the world, by the way, are both Japanese. Yeah. They go back to the, the like, 1890s when they, they, you know, Shokiku. And I think, uh, is it, uh, what's the other one? I forget. I forget the other one. But Shokiku is the oldest studio in the world. Um, and, you know, it's well over 100 years old. Yeah. So, o- older than Pathé. So Himansu Rai, yeah, older than Pathé. Himansu, uh, Himansu Rai produced this and acts in it. And uh, it basically, it's a, it's a romance about um, you know a I don't want to tell you what, but but a guy a guy and a woman and the fate of the woman and the sort of tragic thing that transpires. And uh, anyway, it's uh, it, it, what it says about Indian history and what it what it seems to say certainly about Indian history at the time of being subject to the British Empire is what makes it so interesting. It really has a lot on its mind, and it is, it's, it, once you know a little bit about the backstory, it's very powerful and very effective. Uh, and it is, the movie is Shiraz, A Romance of India. comes with a bunch of special features on it, some very, very interesting stuff. Uh, there's a restoration demonstration from 2017, um, a thing from 1944 on musical instruments of India, which is really, really interesting. And, they, uh, and some public information films that were made uh, in India to promote Indian arts and culture. It's very, very cool. Uh, and then from Warner Archive, we have three from Warner Archive. One uh, DVD-R and the other two are Blu-ray. The uh, DVD-R is long overdue. I'm so glad they finally got this out. It's the best of Pete Smith's specialties, volume one on four discs. Uh, Pete Smith's specialties were, you know, back in the day when you'd watch a movie, it wasn't just a movie. There was a short, and there was an animated film, and a newsreel, and it was a whole evening at the movies. It was like a, mm-hmm. it was like a whole binge-watching event. There was a lot of stuff going on, and sometimes, even in the 1930s, you'd have a live musical prologue. There were a lot of things going on. And uh, Pete Smith was a, um, was a publicist at Warner... Uh, at, well, not at Warner Brothers, but, uh, you know, at, at, at various studios... And he was a publicist who then became um, a, a a narrator for MGM. And MGM, then the MGM library fell in with Warner Brothers, and all these things kind of came into the Warner Brothers library. But he, what he did at MGM, he can he converted himself from being a publicist to kind of a um, a short film producer slash documentarian slash travelogue guy. Anyway. The um his and and these these movies are really quite amazing. Uh, they are um, they're just kind of um, I guess the f- funniest home videos. The original America's Funniest Home Videos is probably the way to do it. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff in it, like you know little thing like things on animals, like like uh, uh, David Letterman's stupid animal tricks. There's stuff that's kind of like that. Um, there are um, uh, insightful little advice, anecdotes about all. I mean, it's just they they run the gamut, and they're all over the place. And there are four discs, and there there've got to be like a hundred different things on here. They're very short, and they're very quippy and sort of light and and flippant, and they're just little slices of life and and cool little uh, anecdotes about things. And people loved them, and they were just hugely, hugely popular at the time. And some of them are about the just the dumbest, most trivial stuff. Um, but they, they, they are historical artifacts now, and they're anecdotes, and they're really, really charming, and they're just beautifully put together. And Pete Smith became kind of a he had his one little corner of the world, and he did an amazing job with them. And they are the, this is the best of Pete Smith specialties, Volume One. 
Yeah, so I love those. Hopefully a lot more will come. It's a really great slice of movie history that just gets forgotten. And then the, uh, the two Blu-rays from the Warner Archive collection are really, really cool. Uh, I, I'm kind of amazed that these almost fell through the cracks. So bravo to the Warner Archive people for, for digging these up. This is an old RK, The first one is an old RKO film directed by John Ford. It is called Wagon Master. Uh, and uh, presented by John Ford and Marion C. Cooper. If you didn't know that Ford and Cooper ever uh, had a relationship, uh, they uh, Wagon Master is again not exactly one of the all-time great Ford films, but made in 1950. It's right there in the pocket of when he's doing uh, some of his best um, uh, Western work, and it's one of his personal favorite films. Uh, it, it, it's one that meant a lot to him uh, personally, and has a wonderful cast: Ben Johnson and Ward Bond from Wagon Train and uh, Harry Carey Jr. And it's, uh, it is exactly what the title says. It is, uh, it's about the master of a wagon train and, uh, you know, what, the, um, what, what happens to the, this, this pioneer wagon train uh, along the path of uh, trying to get to where it's going. And it's, uh, it, it's quite a it, – it's, it's really sensitively done film. It's not, uh, it's not a rollicking uh, Ford epic in the sense that some of his other westerns are. But it has all of the sensitive touches to it that uh, that you would expect from his stuff. It really um, it's a it's really a rock solid entry in the Ford oeuvre. Uh, the other film, the other one on Blu-ray, is a uh, also an MGM Cinemascope film done in beautiful widescreen, really really terrific widescreen. Uh, originally made in 1955, and it is Moonfleet, uh, kind of a second tier. MGM film at the time. Uh, it's, uh, you know, got George Sanders is probably the biggest name in it. Stuart Granger, kind of a big name still at the time. Uh, Stuart Granger and George Sanders holding it down. And um, the this is a, a rather, um, uh, oh, how to say it? It's it's an unusual it's an unusual movie for Fritz Long because Fritz Long is you know has has sort of there's sort of two sides to his career. Fritz Long made obviously all the the great silence that he made in Germany in the expressionist period and then he came to Hollywood and became a basically a director for hire and added a bit of an interesting flourish to a lot of um otherwise unremarkable movies and certainly some thrillers that were done in a very very interesting way. This is not any of that. This is kind of an oddity in his in his body of work, um, and it's uh, it's a period drama that uh, centers around the village. The title comes from a village, which is a um, uh, a village called Moonfleet, which is in uh, Dorsetshire in England, and uh, it's uh, all about a young boy's coming of age in this nineteenth century this kind of rough-and-tumble 19th-century environment in the middle of England. And it has some... There are aspects to it that might resemble Great Expectations, other aspects that might resemble uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped. It sort of owes a little bit to, you know, Dickens and Stevenson in, in all that. Um, but it's not as interesting. And it, ultimately, it's really just about a... Um, you know the adventures of a boy. It's like a. It's like it's so. It's a German director doing an American film set in England that looks a little bit like some British novels, but which maybe has more the spirit of Mark Twain. That's what 
Moonfleet is. It's a very unusual kind of curious film, but it's entertaining and it's well done. And uh, it is Fritz Long, which makes it worth uh, paying attention to regardless. So that is from the Warner Archive Collection on Blu-ray. Uh, got anything else there, or should yeah. I hit the rest of these? Well, uh, well, I'll knock off a couple of these, and then All right. you can bump over to some All of those. Some, some of these are a little bit interesting. Again, uh, we are into the uh, sort of indie, newy, movie-ish uh, kind of run, uh, for the first one being a lovely little movie. And I look, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of these uh, dog movies. It seems like every yeah. week now there's a movie about a dog doing something, a dog's life, a talking dog. There's all these dog movies. This particular one I, I, I rather enjoyed, Belong to Us. It's about this German shepherd. That escapes from an underground dog fighting ring and stumbles into the lives of this family. And the dog can't talk and he can't think and he's not, he doesn't have premonitions or anything. He's just a dog. Uh, and, he, and he hangs around and he, he, with his tongue hanging out and, and he follows the little girl around. If you're going to make one of these movies, that's the way to do it. You don't have to imbue upon the dog some sort of special power. <laughs> the special power of a dog is being a dog. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's its special power. And, and that, this movie knows that, so good on it. Um, uh, one Bedroom, I rather enjoyed this movie. reminded me of a, I don't know, middle 90s Spike Lee film. Sure. Or, or one of those directors uh, set in Brooklyn. This black couple uh, uh, who are kind of breaking up. And in a number of flashbacks, we, we go through their, uh, from the time that they meet all the way through their relationship, uh, as they struggle to see who's going who's gonna to keep the apartment, the one-bedroom apartment in this Brooklyn neighborhood that's gentrifying. Neither one of them wants to leave the apartment. So uh, even though they're kind of breaking up, they kind of stay together. And, and, uh, and, and we see whether or not uh, love means, uh, you know, you, you sort of stick it out anyway. I, I just rather enjoyed this film. It's really great Brooklyn film. It's all the Rome's all around uh, the city. Uh, I like the language in the film. It's just this really neat little movie. T- 15, 20 years ago, a little movie like this would have been would have been uh, all the rage, all the rage. But I like it anyway. Lots of special features too, including the audition f- uh, footage uh, of of the uh, main characters and some audio commentary stuff. Uh, Thirteen Graves. This is a movie that simply tries to do too much. Just uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, so you start out in this genre. You got a couple of serial killers. The serial killers are in this sort of mob graveyard uh, near this old forest to bury their recent hits, right? So first of all, you've got a serial killer. Uh, I said serial killers. What I should have said is hitmen. Now, yeah. after they bury yeah. uh, these hitmen, now it turns into a serial killer. Man, <laughs> because <laughs> no. there's a serial killer in the graveyard uh, okay. uh, that comes after the hitmen. <laughs> Can't uh, so, leave well you know, enough alone. Uh, yeah, come on, man. Just pick a genre. Yeah. You know, don't just jam them all together in there like that. That's stupid. Uh, this one, this one uh, kind of does the same thing a little bit. It's called uh, Straw- Strawberry Flavored Plastic. It's about these guys, they're documentary filmmakers. It kind of reminds me of uh, Man Bites Dog. They're documentary filmmakers. They decide to make a, a narrative film. It's going to be a slasher movie. Uh, but they want someone who's had sort of like experience uh, like in jail and all that kind of stuff. So they get this guy, and he comes out. He's, he's, he tells them this whole story about him, how he was in prison. But in fact, he's never been to prison. However, he is a serial killer. He's just never been caught. Uh, so now they've been making this movie with this guy who's an actual serial killer and been doing all these murders, and they have to decide whether they're going to keep making the movie or turn this guy in. And, of course, they decide to keep making the movie. Uh, so, yeah, in and, 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 and that way it kind of reminds me of uh, Man Bites Dog just a little bit. Uh, let's see here. This one, is, this one was, again, a little bit interesting but tries to do too much. Dark Sense. So you got this guy who's a psychic. Uh, and when he's a child, he sees the murder of one of his friends right before it happens, him and his family. 
He's not able to stop it as a child. Uh, uh, then, as a psychic, he sees his own killing by this serial killer. Uh, it's very uh, uh, traumatic, and it ruins his ability to do his uh, psychic thing, yet he has to stop his own murder by this serial killer because he knows he's going to happen. Again, it's just doing a little too much. It's based on a novel, uh, which I haven't read, of course, but I, I just felt like if they had dialed it back a notch, uh, that would have been much better. Uh, another one of these uh, movies here. Can we watch? You have these kids. They go out to this cabin, and they're going to make this movie. Uh, these people in masks start showing up, looking at in the window and all that. Kind of <laughs> oh, thing. no. What are they doing? They're making a movie of them making a movie of them terrorizing oh, the people no. making the movie. But, of course, these people are making a movie of them as they are being terrorized by them as they are making their movie. I think I understood the first part of that. Yeah, well, it's one of those kind of <laughs> things. Uh, and of that, oh, to get to this last one, Andrew Garfield and Riley Keough in Under the Silver Lake, a kind of modern noir of set in Los Angeles, Silver Lake is a community here in Los Angeles. Uh, this young man uh, sees this young woman in the swimming pool, a luring young woman in the swimming pool. Uh, they get to know each other a little bit. Next day, he, uh, she's disappeared completely, just gone. He decides to go out looking for her and finds himself uh, just traveling down into the dark, murky sort of underbelly of uh, Los Angeles. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's an okay, sort of surreal noir uh, set in the daylight. Not bad, but not fantastic. We're going to go out with some Kino and uh, Criterion here. Uh, from Criterion, uh, from, from Kino to start is a Western, Man Without a Star, 1955 as well. A lot of Westerns in 1955. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike the Fritz Long, this, is, uh, this one's a little bit more mainstream. It is a uh, Kirk Douglas movie, Man Without a Star, directed by King Vidor, also a veteran of the silent era. And uh, it's fun. It's not great. But it's fun, and uh, basically, it is uh, Kirk Douglas doing running interference between Gene Crane and Claire Trevor. Claire Trevor is a hilarious uh, Western madam prostitute. Yeah, and she gets him to get all Shane, get him to get off his you know wandering cowboy thing, and just get all Shane and defend yeah. the town. And you know, it's it, it's it's basically you know fighting the evil the evil landowner and rancher and in this case uh gene crane uh but claire claire trevor kind of steals the movie to be she honest. was in key largo yeah uh, claire trevor really really kind of steals it kirk douglas gotta give it up for for claire she she kills the movie uh also the 1927 version of uncle tom's cabin yeah. uh from kino classics um beautifully restored really really extraordinary this has a uh, a a movie tone this is the original 1927 release and uh has a movie tone score by Erno Rappé on it which is is absolutely perfect um as a historical artifact this is just truly fascinating the uh uh you know the story itself obviously has one role to play in american history mm. the book and then as a, a, adaptations of uncle tom's cabin are a whole separate discussion and mm. this movie in particular Really, from uh, a, a an artistic standpoint, historical standpoint, and in terms of uh, the casting as well, James Re- B. Lowe. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's quite a quite a remarkable uh, James B. Lowe playing Uncle Tom. Mm-hmm. Lots of extras on here as well. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 cut here. There are a lot of different cuts of this, as I've been led to understand. This is the 1958 reissue version which includes narration by Raymond Massey. And there's a, a really interesting essay by David Pierce in the, in the booklet, which uh, kind of gives you a great backdrop on it. 
And uh, there is also a 2K Master version of the 1914 World Film version uh, starring Sam Lucas, which was preserved by the Library of Congress. Um, I was unfamiliar of a, with a 1914 mm-hmm, version. Me too. Did not know that that existed. Um, so, you know, this is a, this is a wonderful educational uh, thing as well. There's also a 1910 Vitagraph version that they include here that uh, that I was familiar with, which is also not very good at all. So um, two previous versions plus this rather... Um, a rather extraordinary Uncle Tom's Cabin from 1927. Uh, and then uh, the last two from uh, Kino are Derek Jarman films. Derek Jarman, of course, the uh, very aggressive filmmaker, the British filmmaker who died from AIDS, uh, without whom we would not have Tilda Swinton. He basically made her career. Mm. The, the first of these is The Garden, uh, and very uh, just as avant-garde and daring as anything that, uh, that he made. Uh, the Garden is from 1990, it is uh, very dreamlike. It is uh, uh, it is basically his response to the AIDS crisis, and it has its it's I mean it's a cry. It's a it's a very avant gardist cry of rage and passion and sympathy, and it's a very very uh, intimate uh, film at the same time. Um, really, no other way to describe it. This is from uh, Zeitgeist, by the way, through Kino, and the other one also from Zeitgeist through Kino is Blue, and Blue is a blue screen mm-hmm. with Jarman's own dying narration mm-hmm. uh, over it. And it is, it is haunting, and it is powerful, and uh, it Sound is, effects and music and... Really, the, yeah. uh, it, is, it, is as, it is as unusual and difficult a film as uh, any, anything you will ever see. Um, Jarman is, is an acquired taste, there's no doubt about it, but there are lots of bonus features on both of these. There are uh, audio commentary. There's audio commentary in particular by Sam uh, Dean. On, uh, on the garden that is absolutely superb and perfect. And then um, there is a, a section on here called Hard to Imagine on Blue, where John Maybury um, kind of gives you a little bit of backdrop into how Jarman got to, to make the film and what brought him to that point. And then I also really enjoyed Glitterbug, which is uh, from 1994, which is a compilation of all of uh, uh, Derek Jarman's home movies to a score by Brian Eno, mm. which is... Poetic and perfect. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, here is our criterion. It's a Marco Bellocchio movie from 1965 in just sizzling black and white called Fists in the Pocket. It's been previously released by uh, Criterion on DVD. It is finally on Blu-ray. A lot of people have been begging for this to be on Blu-ray. And they did a 4K digital restoration with Marco Bellocchio on this. Uh, this has the, uh, the complete original mono soundtrack uncompressed which is really important because it's super, super textured. And um, this is kind of a, this is a sort of a late stage Italian neorealist film. Mm. Marco Bellocchio is not a neorealist director, but he began his career kind of coming out of that. And this is his debut film. And it, it has one foot in, in his future filmography, but it still also has a foot very much in the neorealist period. Um, and it also seems to have a little bit of the French New Wave going on in it, too, to be honest. I think a lot, but some might disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty extraordinary movie about, um, about a, one man who is trying to cope with some very unusual difficulties in his family. And it is the, um, it's an unusual family, and what he actually does is very unusual. 
And uh, it, it says a lot about Italy, and it says a lot about cinema at mm. the same time. Great interviews on here from the uh, previous 2005 release with uh, Bellocchio and his actors, and even Bernardo Bertolucci, now deceased. So I'm glad that they preserved that. Uh, also a new interview with film scholar Stefano Albertini. All absolutely superb and beautiful. Fists in the Pocket, another first-rate director's edition from Criterion. Uh, so with that, we are done this week. We will be back next week. Mm. Remember, um, go to the uh, Facebook page uh, for Cine Gods, or go to the DigiGods Facebook page and join it. At some point, we're thinking about merging those two, so we'd like to hear from you if you feel that would be okay, if you're a frequenter of the, the DigiGods page. Uh, also, uh, visit us at CineGods.com. Mark Kaiser doing a lot of reporting from the Venice Film mm -hmm. Festival. You're going to want to see there. A lot of fun stuff. He's got a piece uh, on Joker. Yes. Uh, which I think Terrific. is already up, right? Yeah, it's already yeah, up. Go, yeah, go definitely read Mark's up. piece on Joker. For sure. Really, really good. Uh, so let's see what else Mark has going. He's, he's, he's doing the Euro Festival yeah. train, which is fun. When you, when you live here... In the, in, in the United States, uh, Toronto and Sundance and South by Southwest are sort of where it's at. Mm. Uh, and those are all far away. I mean, Toronto, Utah, Texas, that's a big triangle. Yeah. Uh, in Europe, if you're in Paris, you can literally attend, you can fly to 20 of the greatest festivals in the world within an hour. Yeah. Within yeah. an hour. Yeah. You're right there. You might even take the train to some of them. And it's uh, so it's quite a thing. Mark is kind of in the... He's in the uh, he's, he's in the eye of the hurricane, as it were. Yeah. So it's all fun. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Get that these these uh, young actors and actresses that the, the thing that blows them up usually isn't the first thing they've done. Right. So this is an interesting look at Daisy Ridley. That's another one you didn't mention earlier. That uh, the, the last Star Wars film. Yeah. I guess I kind of looking forward to that. I guess. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm glad to have it done. Yeah, I put it I've lived my whole life with the uh, ooh, nine episodes. I'm, I'll be glad of it done. Hey, you made it to the end of the show. We have a giveaway, uh, which you will have seen by now, posted on the Facebook page. And uh, so that's what we did. We faded you all the way to the end of the show. Here's what the giveaway is. If you've seen it, we are giving away a, an amazing grand prize for Rocket Man, uh, which includes... Uh, a tote bag, elk glasses, the sunglasses, the, the crazy uh, elk John sunglasses, a jacket, a karaoke microphone, and of course, Rocket Man itself as uh, a 4K Ultra HD. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna give all that away to one very lucky person who emails us, uh, emails us at godsdigigods.com or godsandcinegods.com. Put Rocket Man, one word, just Rocket Man in the title. Put your name and address in the uh, body of the message. And make sure it gets to us by the end of this week, September 6th, Friday, September 6th. No later than September 6th. It's midnight, September 6th. We'll, uh, we'll stop taking the emails. Um, it's a very, very short, short, short contest, but one very lucky person will get all that good swag from Paramount. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Rocketman to GodsAtDigiGods.com or GodsAtCityGods.com and we'll, we'll send you glasses and a microphone and a jacket. You'll be the weirdest person on Halloween for sure, just like I will. Uh, all right, with that, we'll see you guys.